0: Um, wonderful. Well, uh, this morning, um, we're, we're having a communion morning this morning. It's ex- ex- exciting, right? Um, over the past, uh, past couple of weeks, past few weeks, um, we've been looking at Jesus' favourite subject, which is the kingdom of God. And so uh, Jared's brought some outstanding messages on the kingdom. Stuart was uh, preaching on the kingdom last week. Um, I shared some stuff, uh, uh, kind of some, uh, some stuff on the kingdom as well last time I spoke. Aren't you glad that Jesus came not to bring religion, but he came to bring a kingdom? Yeah. Um, he didn't just come to kind of set up uh, church meetings he didn't just come uh, to kind of uh, bring uh, set up a little club or a new political system, but Jesus came to bring God's government. Oh, Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven and um, um, and the, the desire of Jesus is that God's kingdom in heaven, would come to earth. Yeah. And what we've been looking at over the past few weeks is to see, we want to see God's kingdom come in the UK, amen? Oh. We want to see God's kingdom in Europe. We want to see God's kingdom in East Yorkshire. We want to see God's kingdom in Hull. Yeah. We want to see God's kingdom come in every school, in every workplace, in every business, yeah. in every street, every area of society. We want to see the kingdom of God come amen and um, the book of hebrews has this uh, this tension where it talks about the lordship of jesus and and the writer of hebrews says that jesus is lord yeah. jesus has all power he has all, all authority he rules and reigns and yet at the moment we don't see the manifestation of that kingdom a lot of the time on planet earth. And that's why Jesus tells us to pray that his kingdom would come, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And so there is a sense in which Jesus rules, Jesus reigns, Jesus has all power, all authority. And yet you don't need to look very far in our world to see that we don't see the, the manifestation of that kingdom right here on earth. But, but that's what, why we're here. Amen. That's why the church is here, that through our prayers, through our evangelism, through our good deeds, just through the way that we live our life, we're going to see the kingdom of God come to whole. We're going to see the kingdom of God come to our nation. Now, um, here is uh, just a real simple definition. This is a dictionary definition of kingdom. The kingdom is territory that's ruled by a king or queen. Amen. Amen. It's the domain, the dominion, the empire ruled by a king or a queen. Can you get some of those phrases there? Rulership. It's the idea of sovereignty. The idea of lordship. The idea that the king is in charge. A true kingdom is not a democracy. A true kingdom is... The king rules, yeah. the king reigns, the king is sovereign. So who knows that you, if there is no king ruling, it's not kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're very good. Right? If the king is not in charge, if the king is not lord, if the king is not boss, it's not kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. But where the king is in control, there the kingdom is. And what I want to kind of touch on this morning is we can talk about these kind of big picture things about God's kingdom coming to continents and nations and cities and regions and businesses and workplaces. But before any of that happens, the kingdom has to come in me. The kingdom has to come in you. The kingdom will never come to your workplace unless the kingdom first comes to you. The kingdom will never come to my family unless the kingdom first comes in me. The king I'll never see the provision of the kingdom in my finances unless the king first comes to me. And what is kingdom? The king rules. The king reigns. The king is sovereign. If I live my life by my feelings, by doing what I want to do, by living according to my convenience, I can sing all the right songs. Yeah. I can quote all the right scriptures. I can say amen in all the right places. Amen. <laughs> right on cue. Yeah. But it's not kingdom. The kingdom means that he is Lord, that he reigns. Yeah. We, we as, as Revived Church, we believe that God's our Father in heaven. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. We believe that Jesus is our Saviour, that He's our friend, that He's the lover of our souls. We believe that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, that yeah. He's our peace, our joy. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But He's God. Yeah. Yeah. He's holy. Yeah. He's righteous. He's king, he's lord, he's the one that we worship, the one that we serve, the one that we live for. Yeah, yeah. Very good. And that is the declaration of Christianity, that yes, Jesus is our saviour, that yes, Jesus is our friend, that yes, God is our father, but we must never lose the fact that he is king, yeah. that he is holy, that he is everything. Very good. I love the, the declaration of the early church. This is a group of non-Christians, non-believers speaking about the apostles, the early disciples, when they turned up at that city. Look at this. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city authorities and they shouted, these men have caused trouble everywhere. Don't you love having that reputation? (laughs) Now they've come to our city and Jason has kept them in his house. They are all breaking the laws of the emperor. Listen to this. Saying that there is another king whose name is Jesus. Come on. That is the declaration of the church. That there is another king. And his name is Jesus. This is why the early church were persecuted. This is why many of them were martyred. This is why they were thrown into prison. Because for them, this was not just a a Sunday club. This was not just something that they to themselves this wasn't just a, a private faith this wasn't just yeah. an add-on to their lives the declaration of the, of the church was this there is another king yeah. and his name is Jesus yeah. we're, we're not fitting into what society says is is acceptable we're not going along with political correctness we're not fitting in in what you say is the norm we declare that there is another king. Yeah. And his name is Jesus. Caesar is not king. Flesh is not king. Pleasure is not king. Money is not king. Career is not king. Politics is not king. There is only one king. And his name is Jesus. Now in, in Matthew, Matthew 22, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Matthew 22 Jesus tells one of his kingdom parables. And it says this in Matthew 22 verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Just pause there for a moment. I love that description of the kingdom. Anyone else? We've had lots of different um, uh, uh, kind of uh, parables that Jesus has used over the past few weeks. The kingdom is like a net. The kingdom is like a tree. Uh, The kingdom is like seed. The kingdom is like yeast. I found that one a bit weird. Uh, But the kingdom is all these different things. It's all good. But my favourite is this. The kingdom is like a party. The kingdom is like a wedding banquet that a king threw for his son. What's a wedding banquet? There's joy, there's laughter, there's celebration, there's love, there's covenant, there's food, there's drink. Imagine the best wedding party, the best wedding feast that you have ever been to. Jesus says the kingdom is like that but a billion times. Aren't you glad this morning we've come to a party? You've not, we've not come to a boring church service this morning We've not just come to sing a few songs We have come to a wedding banquet this morning That's why we're having communion Because this is a little taster A little bit of a reminder That one day in heaven We're going to be the ultimate wedding banquet And today, right now We can have a little bit of a taste of that We've come to an all-you-can-eat buffet this morning Come on, healing is on the menu Miracles are on the menu Joy and freedom and forgiveness and salvation, it's on the menu. Yeah. And so Jesus paints this picture that the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet yeah. that a king threw for his son. Now as we, as we go through this, this story, and we're not going to read it verse by verse, but, but Jesus basically splits history into three sections. So he begins by saying this, that you can only come to the wedding banquet if you've got an invitation. So he tells a story about how the invites go out, but everyone that's invited refuses to come. And what this is speaking about, this is speaking about uh, about the Jewish nation, about how the invite of the gospel, the kingdom, was initially given just to the Jews. But when Jesus came, the king came, they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. So in verse uh, verse 8, the language switches and it becomes kingdom language. So then he said, the king said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Listen to this, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. That's the picture of the kingdom. The ones that were initially invited refused to come. So now Jesus... It's the net analogy again. It's the the tree analogy again. Jesus now says, anyone who wants to come to the party can come. Go out and just fill the party. Fill the kingdom. Anyone who wants to come can come. This is gospel language. This is kingdom language. This is grace language. He says, whether you are good or bad. Deserving or undeserving, you are welcome to the party. You are welcome to the kingdom. I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter who you are, you are welcome to the party this morning. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. It doesn't matter your lifestyle, whether you're good, bad. You are welcome to the party. You are welcome to the celebration. You can come and enjoy everything that Jesus has for you this morning. You know, you might not even believe in Jesus, but he can heal you this morning. That's the kingdom. You might not even love God this morning, but you can get a miracle. That's the kingdom, that's grace, that's the invitation. Now all that is powerful and wonderful and exciting. But then, in verse 11, something shifts, something changes. Because the king turns up. And who knows when the king turns up, everything changes. Here are all these people, good, bad, worthy, unworthy, unworthy. All enjoying the party. But when the king comes, when the presence of the king comes, something is exposed that would otherwise have been kept hidden. It says this, that when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Now, to understand this, you have to understand a little bit of of the culture of that day. If I were invited to a wedding or you were invited to a wedding today, it would be down to you or me to go and buy a new suit or a new dress to look your best for the wedding, right? But in that culture, it was the bridegroom, it was his responsibility to buy wedding garments For every one of his guests. I like that. I like that. Anyone else up for that? All the single people are like no. All of us who are coming to your wedding were like yeah. So the point of this story is. That the king has paid the price. So that everyone could wear the wedding garments. But here's a guy. He's enjoying the party. He's enjoying the feast, he's singing, he's dancing, he's enjoying the experience but he's not received, he's not put on the wedding garments that the king has provided and the king says to him, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Wow. Or in other words, all are welcome, but few put on the wedding garments. Yeah. See, the Bible talks a lot about the garments that Jesus has given us. Yes. Most important one is the garment of salvation. Have you given your life to Jesus? Are you trusting him as your saviour? But there are others as well. There's there's garments of righteousness. There's garments of service. There's being clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible even talks about being clothed with Christ, which basically means that every area of my life is clothed with Jesus. Now, grace says that all this morning are welcome to the party. But if we want to see God's kingdom come in our lives, it's not enough just to come to the party. It's not enough just to come to church. It's not enough just to enjoy the celebration and the joy and the fun. If you want to do that, that's fine. But if you want to stay in the kingdom and be a part of all that God has for you, You have to make sure that you're putting on the garments. That that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is King. That you know him as Saviour. You know him as King. That every area of your life is covered by him. Are your finances covered by Jesus? Is your marriage covered by Jesus? The things that we watch, the things that we listen to, are they covered by Jesus? The way that we speak to people, the way that we treat people, our goals, our ambitions, the way that we spend our time, is it covered by Jesus? Or do we just want to come to the party but reject the king? And the the scary thing, I'm I'm not getting into the full implications of this verse, but basically (laughs) the king says, tie him hand and foot. Isn't it ironic that freedom would kind of say, dress however you want, <laughs> yeah. but the result is bondage. Yes. Yeah. But actually submitting to what the king wants you to wear Very good. brings freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. True freedom comes in submitting to him. Very good. True freedom doesn't come in anarchy. True freedom doesn't even come in democracy. True freedom comes in proclaiming another king. And his name is Jesus. Paul goes on to talk about this tension in, in 1 Corinthians 10. And this is where the communion table comes in. Paul says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? What, what's happening here in, in this verse is this. that In the culture that Paul is writing to, there, were lots of, there was lots of idol worship. So that the Corinthians uh, that were saved in the church in Corinth regularly would go to the temples of false gods and they would worship idols. And they would partake in kind of the equivalent of, of, of communion but, but instead of worshipping Jesus they would worship idols. Now this group of people get saved. They get born again. They become part of the church. And now they come to the Lord's table. They break bread. They drink the wine. But they still think they can go and worship idols. So on one day, on the Sunday, they come to, come to church. They have the breaking of bread, communion. They acknowledge Jesus as king. But then on a Monday, they go to the temple of the other god, and they acknowledge that that God is king. Yeah. And Paul said, you can't do that. You have to choose yeah. which table are you eating from. Who is your Lord? Who is your king? You can't acknowledge Jesus as king one day yeah. and then acknowledge an idol as king yeah. the next day. I love Paul, he he calls it the Lord's table. Everyone say the Lord. Lord. Just think of that phrase for a moment. This is the Lord's table. Whenever we come to communion, we are acknowledging Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. This is my reaffirmation in my life that there's another King. And his name is Jesus. The, the first time I went to um, Argentina on mission was a number of years ago. And I had a, a guy with me who some of you have had the pleasure of meeting uh, called Paul. He's, a, he's an older guy from, uh, from Orlando, Florida. And um, on one particular night, we went to a family's home to eat. And they were, they were quite a poor family from quite a, a poor neighbourhood. Now, if you've ever been on mission, certainly with me, one of the things that I really stress before we take people on mission is this. If you go to someone's home and they offer you a meal, you have to accept it. It's the height of rudeness and offence. If someone, particularly in a poorer country, offers you a meal you can't turn down that food. You, you have to accept it. And that can get you into some pretty nasty situations sometimes. But it's just, it's just showing honour to, to the people that are trying to serve you. Well, uh, we were in this home and the, the host of the family said, uh, would you like pig? So I thought that's a fr- strange way of phrasing it, but I presume he means pork. Um, so I said, yeah, Sure. Well, I apologise for any vegetarians in the room, but what came on a platter was a pig's head with ears and teeth and eyes and, and there was this little pool of blood on the bottom of the plate and he put it in front and started carving. And um, I began to eat very small mouthfuls. Um, We're well, just a few, a few moments into the meal. I heard Paul next to me say, I can't eat this. Well, my heart just kind of leapt. I was like, Paul, I, I know we can't, but, but we've got to. And then, then he said this, I can't eat it because I'm Jewish. And suddenly the tables were turned. Now, suddenly the host family was so apologetic and, oh, we, did, we didn't mean to offend you. And, and Paul began to explain that he'd done his genealogy and he, he traced back his family to Abraham and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, I'm thinking, you know, you, you've never mentioned this before, but the meal carried on on regardless, but they brought him something else. Um, Well, a couple of days later, we were in someone's house and um, a different family and uh, they said, would you like pig? So I'm thinking, so I was like, yeah, well, they, they brought out the most delicious roast pork you could imagine. It was crispy, it was tender, it was juicy, um, it, it, was, it smelled incredible, and, uh, and, and I'm there kind of eating. Well, a few moments in, I, I suddenly remember, what's, what's Paul going to do? So I turned to him, not only as he finished his plate, but he's going up for seconds. And, and I'll never forget, I turned to him, I said, I thought you were Jewish. And this was his response. He said, I am. But this port just tastes so good. He was a guy who had a conviction. But that conviction changed depending on what was convenient. What tasted good. What felt good. What fed his appetite the most. And who knows that's not a real conviction. And here you've got a group of Christians who don't really have any conviction because their conviction changed depending on who they were with, yeah. on how they were feeling, on what was convenient. Very good. Wow. And you see, our world today has its own idols. Yeah. Yeah. Sex, yeah. money, yeah. pleasure, fame, power, greed. Yeah. And every day, The world invites us to come and sit at its table. Just feed on this a little bit. Just indulge in this a little bit. But when we take communion, what we're saying is this. We reject this table. We reject the idols of this world. We reject the systems of this world. And we proclaim another king. And his name is Jesus Very good. See it's one thing to proclaim him as king here But tomorrow morning when you're at work yeah. And everyone in the office wants you to sit at this table yeah, yeah, yeah. Then do your convictions change But the true child of God Has acknowledged Very good. I, I, I don't look to this as my source yeah. I look to Jesus Jesus as my source, he's the one that I worship, he's the one that I acknowledge, he's the one that I live for, so this morning, it's a wedding ceremony, a wedding banquet, and there's joy and freedom and love and intimacy. But we must never forget, and and I'm nearly through, and then we're going to come and worship. But we must never forget that marriage is a covenant. And it's a two-way covenant, right? Two bodies now become one. Two independent wills now become one. And and I I googled wedding vows this week. (laughs) And here's a little bit of a wedding vow. Will you love, comfort, honour and protect him or her? Forsaking all others. Being faithful as you both shall live. All that I have I share with you. With my body I honour you. All that I am I give to you. See this morning Jesus our bridegroom says that to us. I give you my body. I give you my blood. I give you my life. I give you my everything. Who knows, it'd be pretty rubbish wedding if the bridegroom said that, and then the bride was, well, actually, I'm not quite sure. (laughs) We as the bride of Christ this morning, do we turn to him and say, Jesus, I give you my body is a living sacrifice. I give you my life. I give you my all. I surrender and yield everything to you. Paul, can you, wherever you are, can you? Oh, he's over there. Can you just come and play for us for a moment? This is uh, this is one of the confessions of the early ch- uh, of the early church. I am not my own, but belong, body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior wow. Jesus Christ could we could we say that out loud together this morning and say this as a as a covenant declaration i am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior Jesus Christ just bow your heads for a moment I just want to read over you the words of Jesus from Song of Songs. It's out of the Passion Translation. He says this over you this morning. Just let these words wash over your spirit. Fasten me upon your heart as a seal of fire forevermore. This living, consuming flame will seal you as my prisoner of love. My passion is stronger than the chains of death and the grave. All consuming as a very flashes of fire from the burning heart of God. Place this fierce, unrelenting fire over your entire being. Rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Endless floods will be unable to quench this raging fire that burns within you. Everything will be consumed. It will stop at nothing. As you yield your everything to this furious fire, it won't even seem to you like a sacrifice anymore. The heart of God this morning, he has a heart of burning, passionate love for me and you he loves you so much that he shed his blood so that you could be forgiven so that you could have eternal life so that you could become a child of God so that you could know the plan and the purpose that he has for you so that you could know his joy and his peace that you could know him as your greatest friend and that heart of passionate fiery love God wants to fill you with that love this morning Words like surrender and lordship and submission are tough words. But when you're in love, that verse says it won't seem like a sacrifice. When you realise how much he loves you and when you're in love with him, it is your pleasure to proclaim that he is king, to make him Lord. And when he reigns, his kingdom comes. In you and through you. While we stand together this morning.